Hello and welcome to Vibrant Lives podcast, a podcast dedicated to your health and well-being, featuring interviews with experts about nutrition, physical health, mental health, and my five-minute food facts series, which are short episodes where I discuss nutrition-related topics. I'm Amanda Hayes, your host. I'm a lawyer turned nutritionist, and I'm on a quest to learn as much as I possibly can about living a healthy, active, and fulfilling life, which I would call a vibrant life, hence the name of this podcast, and sharing what I learn with you on this podcast. The health and nutrition space can be a confusing one where information and misinformation abound and identifying reliable, trustworthy sources of information is not always straightforward. But my aim is to help you do that by speaking with knowledgeable guests who can explain their area of expertise in an accessible way and provide you with practical tips that you can use to improve your own well-being. Before I introduce today's guest, I will quickly acknowledge that any information or advice provided in Vibrant Lives podcast is not intended to be used to treat or prevent any medical conditions, and it's never a substitute, as you know, for advice from your own health professionals. Today, I'm honoured to be here with Nick Lee, OAM, the founder and chair of the Jodie Lee Foundation. The Jodie Lee Foundation is one of the leading voices in Australia for bowel cancer prevention. And for anyone listening who's not Australian, OAM refers to the Medal of the Order of Australia. It recognises Australians who have demonstrated outstanding service or exceptional achievement. The Jodie Lee Foundation came into being out of tragedy. In 2008, Nick's wife Jodie complained of constipation, abdominal pain and some bloating. She went to see her doctor who recognised an obstruction of her bowel and this precipitated a whirlwind of emergency surgery and a diagnosis of stage 4 bowel cancer. Jodie was only 39. Tragically, she died in January 2010, and we'll hear how this compelled Nick to start the Jodie Lee Foundation. This is actually an opportune time to present this podcast, as June is Bowel Cancer Awareness Australia's Bowel Cancer Awareness Month, where people are encouraged to fundraise to raise awareness about bowel cancer. And the Jodie Lee participates in this initiative too, which Nick and I will discuss. To set the scene for our discussion, here are some facts about bowel cancer in Australia. Australia actually has one of the highest rates of bowel cancer in the world, and I was quite surprised to learn that. It's the second most common cause of cancer-related death in Australia after lung cancer, and this year it's estimated that 15,500 people will be diagnosed with bowel cancer. Tragically, every two hours bowel cancer claims a life. That's 100 people every week and over 5,300 each year. The thing that is really interesting about bowel cancer is that if it's detected early, in stages one or two, 99% of bowel cancers can be successfully treated or even prevented. And that's why it's so important to raise awareness about prevention. And we're going to hear how the Jodie Lee Foundation is on a mission to do just that. Today I'm here with Nick Lee, OAM, the um, founder and chair of the Jodie Lee Foundation. So hi, Nick. Welcome to Vibrant Lives Podcast. Hi, Amanda. Good to be here. Thank you, Nick. Um, first of all, I wanted to 
congratulate you on being awarded the OAM, which is a Medal of the Order of Australia in the Australia Day Honours earlier this year. So congratulations. Yeah, it was a massive thrill. Um, you know, obviously you don't set out to uh, to get those types of awards, but wonderful to, um, uh, to, to receive that and, you know, great recognition of the impact the foundation has had over many years. Yeah, absolutely. And as we go through the podcast, people will understand why uh, you were the recipient of that award. So I like to start the podcast episodes with some quick fire questions to get to know a little bit about the guests. So you obviously in this case, outside your work as the chair and founder of the Jody Lee Foundation. So Nick, where did you grow up? I grew up in Adelaide, which I, uh, I loved. Yeah. yeah, same, same. And your favourite form of exercise? Well, if it's if I'm doing a sort of cardio uh, exercise, it's cycling. But when it comes to um, strength and toning and flexibility, I do quite a bit of Pilates, which I also love. And then um, if it's social, it's tennis. I love playing Excellent. tennis. So, yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, that's a very good mix um, of, of different forms of exercise. And Nick, your go-to meal for dinner, say on a busy weeknight. Uh, I try and get as much fish into my diet as possible. So I would say salmon, and if it's summer, I'll have it with a salad, and if it's winter, I'll have it with vegetables. So, Yum. Uh, yeah. Delicious and healthy. And are you currently reading anything at the moment? I am. Um, I'm trying to get through Sapiens, which is taking me a long time. Right. I need a holiday or something like that. Yeah, it's yeah. Heavy, heavy going. So uh, I must say it's taking me some time to get through it. Yeah, sometimes non-fiction books like that, when you, you know, go to read them at the end of the night, you get through a few pages and then <laughs> you're asleep. Um, not that it's a boring book, but it's just, you know, it's hard. Yeah, to I'm averaging, I reckon, about two pages. It'll <laughs> <laughs> take you a while. Mm. Yeah. And are you enjoying listening to anything at the moment? It could be music, an audio book, podcast. Um, I love listening to podcasts. Um, my most recent podcast was listening to yours. Uh, oh, you know, great. I was coming on to today. Um, but I uh, prior to that, um, Paul Taylor um, has a great podcast called The Mind, Body, Brain Project. And um, given that it uh, covers areas of interest for, for me, I find that pretty fascinating. He's got uh, wonderful knowledge and gets some great guests on as well. Oh, fantastic. I'll definitely check that one out. And your favourite holiday destination? Uh, my favourite holiday destination would have to be Lake Como in Italy. Lovely. Um, I spent a couple of years in Vietnam, so I'm very partial to that as well. But no, Lake Como in Italy. Oh, lovely. I've never been there. It's on my bucket list. Um, so let's dive into bowel cancer. So June is Bowel Cancer Awareness Month, which is an initiative of the Bowel Cancer Awareness Australia. So I think in that sense, this is a timely episode. And I just wanted to acknowledge that on your website, I saw that the um, the Swannies are supporting the Jodie Lee Foundation during June. Are you a Swan? How, how come the Swannies? Are you a Swannie supporter? Um, I am. And uh, both my kids were born in, in Sydney. Oh, um, right. So, yeah, we uh, we love the Swans. and. Yep. We've had an ongoing relationship with them over about eight years and they've got a lot of connections um, in their club. John Nommai, the coach, um, has had uh, 
uh, parents and in-laws impacted by uh, the disease. Quite a number okay. of the players are Zach Heaney. Oliver Florent lost his father. He's one of our ambassadors as well. So it is a really good vehicle mm. um, to get awareness messages um, out there given the size of the following um, behind uh, the AFL and the Swans. Yeah, oh, that's fantastic. So, Nick, to set the scene for our ongoing discussion, can you explain to us what is bowel cancer, which is also referred to as colorectal cancer? Yeah, so it's a a cancer um, that is in the lower end of the digestive tract and um, it appears often to start with as benign polyps, which are like little pimples on the inside of your bowel wall um, and... um, we can talk about this in a bit more detail, but you know, as it progresses through the bowel wall and into other orgasms, obviously organisms, I should say, um, <laughs> that's a bit of a slip. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, it then is a later stage um, cancer, and and obviously more difficult to to treat. Mm. So, from my understanding, it starts in the lining of the bowel wall, um, which are the polyps you were talking about. Yeah, that's right. And often those polyps, as I said, will be benign, um, but sometimes those cells change and they become cancerous and they um, they get into the into the bowel wall and then yeah. into the lymph nodes and, and beyond. So um, what we're trying to do as a, as a foundation is obviously get to it early because your outcomes, um, if you can uh, get to bowel cancer at either stage one or two is very good, um, but later stages is uh, is, is not so good. So that's something that we're uh, very focused on at the foundation. Yes, and we will talk more to that. I just want to say that I mentioned in the introduction that um, bowel cancer is the second most common cancer affecting people in Australia after prostate for men and breast for women. It's also the second most common cause of cancer-related death in Australia after lung cancer. And I must admit, I, I didn't actually know that. Each year, over 15,000 people are diagnosed with bowel cancer in Australia. So I just wanted to, to talk about those statistics a little bit. And is there a difference, Nick, in the incidence of bowel cancer between men and women? Yeah, well, before I answer that, one stat that I will add, which mm-hmm. surprises a lot of people, is that it is now the leading cancer killer in 25 to 34-year-olds. Really? Uh, so it does impact younger people. And I think the common perception is that it is an older man's disease, mm. but clearly it's it's not. And your to your question um, about how it impacts um males and and females, um, it's almost about 50-50, slightly higher incidence in males, um, but the mortality rate is um, higher in in males because we typically get to it um, later at a later stage. So uh, um, males in particular need to be uh, uh, more diligent about testing. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you think that could be because men perhaps well there's maybe more of a lack of awareness amongst men for one thing but also they might tend to just ignore the signs or symptoms a little bit the the sort of she'll be right mate approach do you think that plays into it i think it definitely does i think there's uh, multiple aspects and you've touched on a couple of them Um, i think also um, women are used to, to testing for various things from a younger age and so um, it's not such a leap then to test yeah. for bowel cancer whereas you know often for males um, 
and currently the, the screen recommendation is from 50. Yeah. Um, you know, we haven't really thought too much about testing. And if you've got this perception that it is an older man's disease, mm. um, I turned 50 a couple of years ago and I feel like I'm in my early 30s, you know. You, yeah, you do, same. <laughs> yeah, you don't feel like it's something that you should be uh, necessarily worrying about. And that's why I threw in that other statistic yeah. because uh, clearly it is impacting younger people. Yeah, I wonder then if um, testing should be routinely done before the age of 50. I guess it's a risk-cost analysis, I suppose. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely, man. And that's something that we are really passionate about. Um, you know, we might come on and talk about the story behind the foundation, but Jody um, was 39 when mm. she was diagnosed, so, you know, it wouldn't have mattered um, for her that the screening age was yeah. 50. She was a lot younger than that. And we're just seeing more and more of this growing incidence. Um, in fact, if you wind the clock back 40 years, it was um, the ninth um, leading uh, cancer in that age group. It's now the the highest. Um, so, yeah, it's in a relatively short period of time, yeah. it's on its way to the top. No, that is incredibly interesting. And I, I guess we'll come back to that when we talk about some of the risk factors that might play into that. But you did, you mentioned earlier um, you alluded to the stages of bowel cancer and perhaps you could just set that out for us clearly so we understand um, going forward what they are. Yeah, so um, the first instance will be a, um, as I said, a small pimple-like polyp um, on the lower end of the digestive track. Um, if it, those cells then become cancerous, it will go into the bowel wall. So stage one is as a polyp in, in the digestive tract. Stage two is when the uh, cancer has moved or the polyp has moved into the um, bowel wall. Um, it then goes into um, lymph nodes near the, the bowel. Right. Um, and that is the um, stage three and the vehicle for taking it over yeah. time. Um, to other organs in the body. Um, for Jodie, it was her liver. Sometimes you see it in the lung um, and that's stage four bowel cancer and, uh, you know, the prognosis is not, not great for the yeah. stage four. No, I imagine with any cancer, my, my dearest friend um, in a similar but different story to Jodie um, was diagnosed with stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma when she was 39 and she sadly died 10 years ago now. So in young people, when things aren't right, you don't immediately jump to the conclusion that they have cancer. You know, you look for all sorts of other explanations, I think. Yeah, we have, um, that's a really important point, actually, that um, we get lots of these stories of people presenting with symptoms and often it doesn't throw up symptoms um, and early warning signs like many other diseases, they call it the silent killer for that reason. Yeah. But um, many stories of people presenting with these symptoms to GPs, but because they're younger than 50, um, they're, you know, tested for other things and yeah. uh, um, not bowel cancer. And, and sometimes that ends very tragically. Um, and we have a campaign uh, called Trust Your Gut, um, which is all about, you know, we as individuals know our bodies the best. And if something mm. is going on, um, get off and see the GP. Uh, that's a great first step. And, and if you don't um, like what you've been told um, in terms of um, it's not getting you better, then yeah. 
keep searching and yeah. and, uh, and and keep speaking to either your GP or find a, another GP until you're happy with them um, with the outcome. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, we do know ourselves better than anyone else, and uh, sometimes you have to be a bit persistent. I think you know if you're not right, don't you? And you did mention that it can be asymptomatic. Um, which is one of the reasons that screening is so important. Some people do experience symptoms. So can you talk us through what those symptoms are just to, to raise awareness about that? Yes, by far and away, the most important one to watch out for is blood um, when you go to the toilet. Mm. Um, so um, we've got another program coming up called uh, View Your Poo. Um, oh, right. I like the name. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and that's really encouraging people to say, look, um, have a look. And if you do see blood, um, get off and see your GP. Um, often that blood is microscopic, so it is important still to, to do the screening test. But that's the most important one. Um, a change in bowel habits that lasts over um, uh, longer than, than a two-week period, mm-hmm. um, changes in, in weight, losing weight um, and not having sort of any explanations for, for losing weight, and then um, abdominal pain and bloating yeah. is the other um, symptom to watch out for. Mm. And you can see why if someone presents with some of those symptoms, say bloating, there are so many other conclusions you might come to, like irritable bowel syndrome or, you know, especially if the person is young, so, as you say, it's important to be um, persistent. And on your website, you have, I, I had a look at it, it's a symptom checker. So just talk us through how that works for anyone who's interested in, in going and having a look. Yeah, there is, the benefits of the symptom checker are twofold. One is to give people uh, a really good understanding of what those symptoms are to watch out for. So you can see that on the on the checker and you can tick boxes as to uh, any symptoms that you might have and the second benefit is to have something that you can take along um, to the gp and have a conversation Mm. with the gp about because that's going to be really helpful for the gp to then be able to determine uh, what next so yeah um, yeah that works really well that symptom checker yeah i'll put a link to that in the show notes if anyone would like to to do that and so let's talk now about the actual Jodie Lee Foundation, which you established in 2010. And can you tell us what was your motivation to start the charity? Well, really, um, I guess the period of time um, that Jodie went from her first operation, which was really sudden, we were living in Vietnam and two young kids. My son was only four uh, at the time and, and my daughter was two. Um, and uh, when we first moved to, to Vietnam and we'd been there um, a couple of years and, and literally on a Thursday night I was away with my team up in Hanoi. We were based in Ho Chi Minh City. She rang me and said, I've got abdominal pain. Uh, she wasn't sure what it was and, you know, we weren't particularly concerned because she was no. fit and didn't have a family history. Um, she went off to get checked the next day and and literally that same night, um, a ambulance was turned up to our house. The kids were fast asleep. I was still away, and she was airlifted to Bangkok for emergency surgery. Um, yeah, and the surgery went well to remove the tumour, but three days after that, a specialist came to see us and said that the cancer had spread and then it was stage mm-hmm. four bowel cancer. And he said, uh, you know, Jody's only got two years to live. So we raced oh. back to South Australia, um, tried a lot of 
treatments, evasive treatments, multiple rounds of chemo, abdominal operations, radiospheres, um, and nothing seemed to work. Um, and, you know, I had the awful experience in August 2009 of having to tell my two young kids that their mum was going to die. Oh, my God. Uh, Oh, I've got goosebumps. That's so sad. Yeah. Um, and, of course, we didn't want to scare them. And at that time we thought Jody had about 12 months um, to live. But in January 2010, shortly after that conversation, she passed away just before her 42nd birthday. Wow. And mm. it's, it's difficult to describe. I just had this overwhelming um, desire to want to ensure that, if I possibly could, no one else had to have that same mm. experience with a disease that's um, so preventable. So without having a medical background and being able to contribute to coming up with a cure, we thought if we could just educate as many people as we could um, to take the simple steps to lower their risk, we had a, a chance to make a difference. And I'm really proud of the impact the foundation has had. And we've got loads of fantastic early detection stories. Oh, that's amazing. Did Jody know that this was something you thought you might do? Had you discussed it with her or did you come up with it after she died? She knew um, I was really passionate about um, making a difference, I guess, in that sector. Well, I'd, I'd done quite a bit of fundraising, um, you know, in terms of coping with the grief and mm. dealing with what I was going through. I kind of felt like exercise um was helping me a lot. So I did um, marathons and bike rides and other things to raise money and um, raised about $150,000 that went to the Cancer Council. So she had a, a really good sense that, um, you know, I was um, passionate about it and it yeah. wasn't something that, um, you know, when she passed away, I'm sure she knew that I was going to continue along yeah. that path. Well, I'm sure she'd be very proud if she's looking down. <laughs> What's the mission then? You've got an excellent mission statement. What's the mission of the Jodie Lee Foundation? Um, so we uh, have a mission to empower Australians to take active steps to prevent bowel cancer. And I think we've done a really good job at raising awareness. And you know, whilst we're a national organisation, we're based here in South Australia, um, South Australia has the highest uh, participation rate of any state behind the government program when they send out their free kit. So I'd like to think that we've contributed to that. Um, I think the area, I guess, that I feel most frustrated by over the last 12 years is that part about the active steps. Yes. I think we've been good at educating people, but not enough people have taken active steps and uh and, you know, I know for a fact if they had, we would have saved many more lives. Um, mm. So that's an ongoing challenge for us and something that we're really um, passionate about with all these campaigns that we're running yeah. to, uh, uh, to get people to act on those messages. So we will talk about some of those, but why do you think there's a bit of reluctance? I mean, what comes to mind for me is that a lot of people think they're personally a bit invincible like oh that sort of happens to other people do you think there's a bit of that kind of feeling out there or what do you think yeah it's really interesting and I think um you know each individual has different um motivations um but you know a really interesting thing was one of the first events that we ran as a foundation um was a um event where we um got all of our friends and family and others together 
and handed out testing kits to everybody. Oh, right. Um, and uh, just as a, as a gift, it was a gala or was a cocktail party. And um, there's about 130 people there. Um, so everyone got a testing kit. Uh, and I reckon the participation rate when we measured it was something like 15 to 20%. Oh, so, so these not very people, high. No, mm. these are people that knew Jodie and yeah. in many cases knew seen. what she yeah, what she'd gone through, mm. yet um, for some reason or another weren't taking the test. And I think a big component of that is that when the government suggests that we screen at 50, and, you know, I'm like you think it should be at a younger age, um, people feel like they're younger. They, they don't think that's something for them. They think it's an yeah. older person that should be testing for, for that. So that's part of the the problem sometimes people just don't want to know they're they uh, have a fear of the unknown but mm. with bowel cancer because it is so treatable you know 99 yeah. percent treatable if caught early this is one to know about yeah absolutely <laughs> um, and and that's kind of the crux of what you're trying to to promote and tell people about if you catch it early it's treatable you know it's so important to know that yeah well logically it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? You know, it's the second biggest cancer killer in this country. Um, there's a simple test you can do to prevent mm. it. Um, so it's it, it's something that yeah. seems so simple. And the test is is not particularly um, icky. Uh, the, the test that the government sends out and the test that we recommend through a lot of our programs is, is very simple to do. Yeah. Uh, um, samples doesn't take any longer than you know making a cup of tea and, and you're done um yeah. but yeah that's that's a big challenge trying to get people to, to, to take that simple step I, I wonder too if part of the barrier might be the fact that you know you do have to stick a little brush in <laughs> on your poo and you know i mean it, it it's very very simple and i've done it and it you know i've done it several times now but it's very easy, but I must admit the first time I did it, I'd have the little envelope in the bathroom and I'd like, mm, not today, mm, not today. And then eventually when I did it, I'm like, oh, that was so easy. I don't know what I was waiting for. Yeah, well, that's uh, an important insight too, um, Amanda, is that the re-participation rate is really high. So mm. when governments send out their testing kits, when people turn 50, only 32% of or 33% of people do it. Um, so the participation rate is very low. Once someone has done the test once, the re-participation rate is up over 70% yeah. because people realise how simple it is. So a lot of our focus as a foundation is, you know, how do we get people to take that test for the first time? Because we know if they do, they're more likely yeah. to, to take it again. Yeah, well, I'm a, a case in point. Um, I can't remember why. I mean, I've done testing for a few years, so pre-50 I think my dad had, he hasn't had bowel cancer, but he had some polyps or uh, anyway, there was a reason why I thought, oh, look, maybe I should do mine as well. So, um, but yes, it, it, I can attest it is actually very easy. <laughs> yes, yeah, so simple. So let's talk about some of the initiatives that you do at the Jodie Lee Foundation. Probably the one I think is the most well-known is the Trek you do an annual trek, you do one in South Australia and you also now do one in Victoria. If someone's interested in the trek, tell us what, what can they expect? What's it like? 
So the the trek is a really fantastic event, I think, on a number of levels. It's important to the foundation, so it contributes to a good cause in terms Mm. of raising awareness and and money. Um, But for the individual, we make no excuses for the fact that it's quite a challenging trek Mm. because what we're wanting people to do is get in the habit of exercising. And so the... Um, you know, being a uh, an eighty kilometre trek over two days, so you've got the full day to do the the forty k's each each day, um, does mean for most people that they have to train. Yeah, and training, getting out in the environment um, with a group of friends that you're doing it with, and training together and doing a bit of fundraising for a good cause, um, is not only physically. Um, beneficial but mentally beneficial as well and we just find that the feedback that we get from people that do the treks is quite amazing um, on uh, on multiple levels but you know almost without exception there's this sense of having contributed to something really important and we spend a fair bit of time over the treks talking about the reason why we're all out there they're trekking um, but just being in a wonderful environment with a group of people, which is wonderfully protective for, for mental health as yes. well, it just uh, um, enhances the overall experience. Um, so, yeah, it's exciting. We get great feedback. Um, mm. You know, as you said, we've got uh, a South Australian trek. We've got another trek coming up in Victoria, um, in Apollo Bay, um, on the 21st to 22nd of October. And, um, you know, all that information is in our, um, on our website under yes. our events page if people want to want to see it. I did it um, several years ago now. It was pre-COVID. I can contribute to what everyone else said about positive feedback. I had such a fun time. I ended up walking with two men that I knew vaguely and this gorgeous young <laughs> girl who was so much fun someone I never would have met normally because we're different ages and in fact we ran quite a bit of it and we laughed and laughed the whole way and I'm still in touch with those people from the trek yeah well that's Mm. brilliant and that's that's um you know such a rewarding thing isn't it to meet um, people along the way and you know we've got quite a lot of people who are connected um, in some way to, to bowel cancer. So to yeah. understand, you know, people's motivations for, uh, for, for doing it, um, I think adds to the interest of it. But I've, I've let, you know, met so many wonderful people um, thanks to, to that trek. Yeah, it's a great, and you often do it on the Heisen Trail or part, a section of the Heisen Trail. That's correct, isn't it? Yeah, so this actually is the first year for the South Australian trek that we've um uh departed from that we uh went over to york peninsula um, and and did the walk the york um uh trail so that was beautiful um stunning scenery but yeah the uh the heisen trail is where we've done most of um the the treks and i suspect um next year we'll be back on the on the heisen trail as well yeah well it is very beautiful um do you plan to take it to any other states is that in the agenda yeah, we've had a um, we've trialled it in um, Brisbane and uh, under a sort of a different format and and um, uh, Tasmania as well. And so we're we're constantly looking at opportunities mm. to 
um, try and take that same experience to other states. Um, so it's very much on our radar. We'd love to do something in Sydney um, in the not-too-distant future as well. Yeah. So. The other nice thing about it is that um, a group of friends can make a bit of a holiday out of it, you know, go and trek in Tassie for a few days and then have a few days in Hobart or whatever they, they like. It's nice to sort of make it into a bit of an event, isn't it, an occasion? Yeah, and that, that happens a lot. Um, we get a lot of people travelling from interstate and taking a few extra days on the side to uh, um, enjoy the, the state that they're in and their friends that are doing it with them. So, yeah, it's um, it, it provides that opportunity. Now, lovely podcast listeners, as you know, one of my passions is to bring you reliable information about nutrition. With this in mind, I've created a free guide called Five Common Nutrition Myths Debunked. So if you want to know whether carbs make you gain weight or if red wine is good for your heart, download my free guide via the link in the show notes. And now back to my chat with Nick Lee. On your website, you have um, some amazing examples of how people can fundraise. I mean, obviously, there's you could participate in the trek, but what are some other ideas if people are interested? Well, we run a workplace um, program as well, which educates staff. Um, so I'm doing a lot of that throughout this month, being bowel cancer month, but we do that throughout the year. Mm -hmm. um, and often organisations after running that session will be, get quite sort of passionate about um, the foundation and do everything from, you know, gold coin donations for something that they've got coming off. I've got a session coming up next week where they're doing a bit of a bake-off um, as a competition. Um, you know, it sometimes leads to corporate sponsorships. We've had um, ANZ having us as their host charity for their community ball where they had 650 people um, wow. there. I raised a few hundred thousand dollars. So, yeah, lots of sort of opportunities um, there. We've done, you know, fundraisers on um, Mother's Day. Um, we've done little black dress cocktail um, parties. Um, we've uh, uh, got other events like cycling um, uh, events and marathons where people can, uh, so it doesn't really matter what exercise you're into. Yeah. I know you're a trial runner, but um uh, yeah, we've got um, lots of different opportunities for people to um, participate. We recently had a movie night um, for the Top Gun movie. And oh, I think great. $10,000 um, through that. We have quiz nights. So just loads of um, yeah. opportunities. And, and it's a bit of a mixed bag on our events page. We've got kind of the, the Jodley Foundation hosted events like mm -hmm. we've talked about but then there's a lot of groups that come to us and say you know we've been impacted or we like what you're doing we want to do our own event we can set them up um, on our website to be able to facilitate the awareness raising and the fundraising as part of that oh, that is absolutely great isn't it so you know there's no limit to the imagination of how you can potentially fundraise I mean people can even have morning teas and things like that if they want to with a group of friends and yeah, yeah, that's right. So, the, you know, there's a lot of um, kind of vehicles which brings people together on a mm. social occasion to uh, um, to contribute to a great cause, which yeah. um, we, we love. And I think you can't get to, oh, we're middle age, I guess, this age in life and not be impacted in some way by cancer. Like, you know, who doesn't know someone that's had either bowel, breast? So it's important to... Um, 
raise awareness and, and give back. Nick, since you founded the Jodie Lee Foundation, can you tell us what, how, how has it grown? What's the impact been? Don't be modest. <laughs> Ah, well, you know, I said I'm really proud and I guess the things that make me feel 10 foot tall are when you get, as I did last week, um, literally through that workplace program, uh, uh, a guy I went to school with and said, you know, I went home and did the test um, sponsored by the, the company after you presented to us and, um, you know, I had six polyps found and two of them I was told were uh, were cancerous and, wow. you know, so on top of that early and and he's he won't be a statistic because of it um and so we've got so many of those stories and so many of those stories of people under the age of um 50 as well which you know typically then if it hadn't been the joe lee foundation communicating to them they they likely would have yeah. would have um so that's um super rewarding and i think um you know, there's a couple of other aspects which I hadn't even considered actually when founding the um, the Jubilee Foundation. You kind of go, well, if we could save one life, it's all worth it, but, and we've done that um, uh, in spades. But the other aspects that I hadn't considered, one is um, just contributing to people making better lifestyle and diet um, better health choices and that's you know might be someone doing a, a trek or it might be someone um, you know heeding our advice around um, diet nutrition or might be someone getting involved in the, you know those trust your gut campaigns and thinking oh I haven't been feeling quite right I'm going to get off and and see the GP so um, that's a massive component and another really important component is providing a vehicle for people who have been impacted to feel like they can um, do something as well. Mm. Uh, so you would have felt that on the trek um, that there was a lot of people there that were there specifically because they had been um, impacted. So that yeah. provided a vehicle for, for them. You know, we've got uh, uh, a beautiful lady, Tanya Carey, who lost her twin sister um, and she was thinking about doing the same. We met for coffee and she said, you're doing exactly what I want to do. She's now on our board. She's Brilliant. raised a huge amount of money and um you know, she feels part of um, the foundation and truly. And um, so there's there's lots of aspects, I think, that, you know, have really um, helped. And, you know, if we can inspire people to live more healthy lives, um, you know, despite perhaps never being impacted by cancer, you know, that's a result in itself. One of the things that I think is really important that maybe you didn't realise you were creating when you first started was a safe space for people to talk about how they've been impacted by bowel cancer because, as you said, at, at the trek, one of the questions you ask is, you know, why are you here? Like, And there's there's often a connection or a reason. And so people can speak to other people who understand what they've been through, whether it's a friend, a family member, themselves. Yeah, and that's sort of um, the importance of that in addition to having that kind of open environment is it does help spread that that awareness you know you you convert people into almost ambassadors um, mm. for the cause because you know you're providing a vehicle for them to open up and talk to others about it and you know i'm sure the flow on effect from you doing the um uh the the trek and speaking to friends and family and others and telling them about what you're doing 
it causes them to think, you know, should I be doing something about um, this? It's a ripple effect, isn't it? Yeah. So let's talk about some of the risk factors now. So there are, um, unfortunately, like many cancers, we don't actually know or don't fully understand what causes bowel cancer, but what we do know is that there are some risk factors and some of them are non-modifiable things and that's things you can't change. For example, your risk goes up as you age and um, you may have a genetic predisposition which you can't change. But many of the risk factors are things we can actually do something about. They're lifestyle risk factors. So let's talk about some of those, Nick. And what are some of the important things that people can do to reduce their chances of being diagnosed with bowel cancer? Yeah, so with um, a vision to um, beat bowel cancer, we've used the word beat to try and help people remember the key things that they can Mm -hmm. do to lower their risk so the b is be active and and healthy Um, so that's exercising um, and that's watching your alcohol intake um, not smoking um, eating well all those sorts of things Um, a couple of things that has come through in research perhaps more recently is the link between um, well-cooked red meat and um, processed meats and that probably explains why we have such a high incidence here in this country um, so that's important. Um, and that's one of the things, the reasons I said before that I try and get as much fish into yeah. my diet as possible. Um, and uh, the other thing that I think we're going to hear a lot more about into the future is the impact of sedentary lifestyles. Um, and there was a study done in the US that said that if you do have a sedentary lifestyle, you're 40% greater risk of getting bowel cancer, so not insignificant. Um, the other thing to watch out for is weight. Um, uh, there's, we've seen with, through some research that um, there's a link with diabetes, but weight um, as well, and particularly where you carry weight, visceral fat um, in particular, and that, that also might explain why men have so, a slightly higher incidence. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so all those sorts of things, and, and of course they're all things that not only protect you against bowel cancer but many other Um, diseases as well Um, the e is to explore your family history Um, so you mentioned that um, some of these factors you're kind of born with but at least with the knowledge of that you can start getting um, tested from a an earlier age Mm. if you need that's the advice that you're given Um, a is to act on symptoms all those things that we talked about before but equally um, sometimes it doesn't throw up early warning signs so it's just important to be on top of all of the things that you should be testing um, for and t is to take the simple test so that's the the message that we're um, trying to get out through all of our initiatives and and programs and our workplace program to try and help people understand how they can lower their risk yeah that's that's really great beat that's a catchy little thing for people to remember i like that So I had a look at some research about risk factors and one of the things that stuck out to me was according to the World Cancer Research Fund, there is convincing evidence that foods containing dietary fibre decrease your risk. So that's another reason to to eat well and to avoid processed foods, particularly, as you mentioned, well-cooked red meat and processed meat and alcohol. That's a bad one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. 
And look, I have a pretty simple philosophy. I think if you can eat food in its rawest form, it's going to move through your body pretty quickly. If you eat ultra-processed foods, then it takes a lot of energy for your body to process it and it could cause um, some problems in your digestive tract. So, um, yeah, that's that's yeah. A, a pretty oversimplified philosophy. But, you know, some of the things that we're seeing, you know, things like the Mediterranean diet, that's one of the diets I think that has stood the test of time yes. and continually shown um, the health benefits. And, and when I look at that diet, um, I think that that's probably closest to what I would recommend in terms of bowel cancer. But you're right. Um, making sure that you get plenty of dietary fibre um, in your gut is really, or through your system is really important. Yeah, I mean, that helps um, food move through so it's not yeah. sitting there and, you know, who knows what, fermenting and creating all sorts of weird byproducts, which is one of the problems, of course, with processed food, like you're eating stuff that's it's not actually food <laughs> who knows yeah. <laughs> mm. yeah and that's a big problem isn't it you know we walk into the supermarket and pretty much everything that's stuck in eye level in front of your face yeah. is processed um food so the temptation to uh, to purchase those products um can be overwhelming for some yes. so well sadly it's actually easier isn't it to yeah buy something that's already made and I remember once when my kids were small they wanted some cooking some cookies and I said to them well you go and read the ingredient they're old enough to read you go and read the ingredients and if you can understand everything on the packet then you can have the cookies so they ran over all excited and then they walked back with long faces <laughs> there was about you know 15 ingredients <laughs> so needless yeah, to say they are numbers a lot of them are numbers mm. And uh, I don't understand all of those, um, no. you know, reasonably well-researched in this space. Yeah. I just wanted to quickly touch on something uh, a bit outside the Jodie Lee Foundation. Nick, you're a director of the Healthy Minds with Tom Nemi, who I interviewed a few years ago. Um, and we won't go into that too much because it could be a whole other episode. But just tell us a little bit about what Healthy Minds does and, and why you're involved. Yeah, well, hopefully some of your listeners did hear um, that uh, podcast you did with Tom because he's a, a, a super guy who's done amazing things. And he came up with a world first after um, doing his PhD, which yes. was a preventative effect for anxiety, depression and eating disorders. And um, probably the best way for your listeners to think about it is think about mental health as a continuum, okay? We all sit there somewhere from one end if I call it the red end where someone's um, stuck and can't function, right up to the green end, which is where people are performing at their best. Um, where Healthy Minds works really is that preventative uh, end of the continuum. So what we do is try and teach people the skills to navigate life's inevitable problems. You know, for me, obviously, it was losing uh, my wife at a, at a fairly young age, um, but everybody gets sat on their bum at some stage and you need those um, bounce back skills. And so that's what we teach. Um, and then equally, if you practice the skills that we teach, moving people to that green end, moving people to their, you know, higher well-being where they're obviously going to perform at their best. Um, so that's where Healthy Minds sits. And we do work with corporates, um, Lots of programs with corporates, lots of programs with schools. Yes. And we just love the feedback that we get from our participants. That's uh, very rewarding. You know, sometimes I, I run a session around purpose where I talk about 
you know, this change of my life from being a director at Unilever to the Joe Lee Foundation and now Healthy Minds. And I just, uh, I actually find it difficult to put into words how much that having a really strong sense of purpose and living a purposeful life has meant for my well-being and, and outlook yeah. on life. Mm. The interesting thing about your two roles is they're both in the preventative space, one in a physical sense and one in a mental health sense. Yeah, it's interesting. Mm. I call it sort of often the heads and tails of health. Um, (laughs) uh, And they're very linked. Mm. You know, there's so many links and increasingly we're finding this from research um, about the importance of gut health and your microbiome and the impact that that has on your mental health. Absolutely. The the um, gut health, the gut sometimes referred to as a second brain these days. Yeah, mm. absolutely. There's lots of nice links there. Mm. So, and I'll put links to that in the show notes. So, Nick, it's time to wrap up. You, you're a busy man. You've got other meetings to get to. So, Nick, who inspires you? Who or what actually inspires you? Uh, um, you know what? I, I mean, this is very... Um, contextualised to what I do and and spend most of my waking life thinking about. Um, Those that inspire me are people that actually act, have the courage to act um, to improve their health. And the people that motivate me are the people that don't act because I'm constantly trying to think about how do I switch um, someone on to, um, you know, take heed of the advice and actually act on the advice. So that's probably uh, um, what occupies a lot of my, my thinking but uh, also inspires and motivates me. Oh, that's excellent. And the final question, and I ask this to all of my guests, if you could recommend two things that people could do to improve their well-being, they can be anything at all, what would they be? Sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting enough um, sleep, obviously that's different for every individual, but your body through the recovery process of, of sleeping is just so vital to both uh, mental health and gut health. Um, and the other one, um, linking back to that statistic that I talked about before, was move more. You know, yeah. biologically, uh, bodies are designed to move. And unfortunately, as uh, um our society matures, um, we find more and more excuses not to have to move. Yeah. Um, and everything becomes convenient and, uh, you know, it's just having such a big impact on people's health. So make as many excuses as you can to move more. Um, yeah. It's vital. Yeah, that's excellent advice. And if people want to um, see what you're doing at the Jodie Lee Foundation, where should they look? Go to our website, mm-hmm. and uh, which is Jody Lee Foundation, um, and Jody spelled J-O-D-I. Um, have a look at our website. Lots of information on there about how you might want to get involved, and we talked about treks and other things. Yeah. Lots of important information about bowel cancer itself and how to protect yourself. Um, but also if you wanted to get involved in, you know, our workplace um, program, um, you know, that has saved so many people um, over the last 12 years. Um, you know, there's a chance to save your life or your colleague's life. Wow. So our website, reach out to us and um, we'd love to partner with you. Well, that was truly inspiring. Thank you so much, Nick. And, of course, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you today and thank you so much for your time and sharing your knowledge with us here at Vibrant Lives Podcast. 
appreciate that, Amanda. No, it's a wonderful way for us to uh, uh, share that that message. And um, you know, I just encourage your listeners to act on one thing that yeah. we can talk. About. That would be awesome. Excellent. And that was Nick Lee, OAM, founder and chair of the Jodie Lee Foundation, doing really important work in the space of bowel cancer prevention and awareness. And I really hope that my chat with Nick today inspired you to act. If you're under the age of 50 and don't want to wait until you receive your free kit from the government at the age of 50, then it is very easy to buy a bowel cancer screening test. Many chemists stock them and you can also order them online. Thank you for listening today and I really hope you enjoyed my discussion with Nick Lee, even though there were parts of it that were obviously really sad. If you could please share the podcast and tell your friends about it, it would mean so much to me. Word of mouth is still actually one of the best ways for people to find out about my podcast. And if you could take a minute to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, I would be so grateful. Please follow me on Instagram at vibrant underscore lives underscore podcast or on Facebook at Vibrant Lives Podcast and check out my website at vibrantlivespodcast.com. On my website, you'll find all of my podcast episodes and reviews of books about health that I recommend. So please do DM me or send me an email um, via the contacts page on my website and let me know what you'd like to hear more of Or if you just want to say hi, I'd love to hear from you. And in my next episode, I've got a really interesting discussion for you with Dr. Catherine Grellman about women in sport. And we take a deep dive into how to find the best fitting sports bra, why that's important. And we also talk about the menstrual cycle for women. I think it's vital for both women and men to understand the menstrual cycle, what's going on and how the hormones can impact mood and how you feel in general and if you're an athlete how it impacts your sports performance. This podcast is recorded on ancient Ghana land. I acknowledge the Ghana people as the traditional custodians of this land and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Thank you for tuning in today. Eat well, move well, think well, live vibrantly.